do a quick... And we're recording. Hallelujah. Hello again. Uh, my name is Lily slash Squeak and I live in this flat. Hello, my name is Tamara slash Oddment and I don't live in this flat. <laughs> so, as you may have noticed last episode, we managed to actually vaguely talk on topic for almost the duration. I, I was honestly very impressed. I mean, I think we had three topics and we stuck to them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, because we had many topics and we were sticking to them, that also meant that we said many things that were not true. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I did. <laughs> we don't we don't fact check ourselves yeah. at all. <laughs> we may at some point in the future do a sort of proper fact check corner um but at this point we're just like hey if you're not sure google it <laughs> yeah don't don't take our word for it don't consider us your own personal wikipedia we don't know anything yeah and quite frankly we're worried if you think we do yeah very nothing worried. we have expressed at any point during this process is giving you or should have given you any confidence in anything we say absolutely none <laughs> Uh, we were talking earlier about some of the books that have really impacted us growing up and changed the way that we think about things, um, changed, you know, some of the directions we've gone. Um, and I think it might be really interesting for us to sort of dive in to those books and what those books are yeah, um, and how they've impacted us. I, I Obviously, the big one for me... <laughs> I, I couldn't guess any. <laughs> to the surprise of no one is <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, so for me, Lord of the Rings has always been a big book for me, not just because I love it and I think it's fantastic, uh, but because I was not a reader. I, in fact, really struggled with reading um, for the first little bit of my time in school. So I, I'm on the younger end of a school year. So when I went into school, I was developmentally, developmentally, <laughs> that's the word, behind a lot of my peers. And that meant until I was in, so in years, reception one and two, I was going back to the reception classroom for books. Mm. It made me feel very stupid. Um, I was in a very small country C of E primary school and my year was full of some incredibly intelligent kids um, and went on to be incredibly intelligent adults Damn um, them. I know bastards all of them but we had way too many Oxford and Cambridge people come out <laughs> <laughs> of my primary school classroom of 15 <laughs> and the fact that I reached sort of year two and I was still going back to younger classrooms with books and for me it was I was a very physical tomboyish kid and so the the drive really wasn't there for storytelling um until my dad read me The Hobbit and I absolutely adored it and then he refused to read if I wanted more than a chapter a night then he refused to read it for me so suddenly it became a driving force <laughs> oh, <that's adorable. laughs> that I have to be able to read. And it meant that, you know, and it was a slog to read not just The Hobbit, but then move on to Lord of the Rings. But it meant that I, age seven, eight, read the whole of Lord of the Rings. And it took me 
the whole of year seven of my seventh year my eighth year to read it but I absolutely adored it and then from that point onwards it was difficult to separate me from a book like (laughs) I realized recently that I do actually get car sick from reading but I didn't think I used to from the way I grew up and it's clearly like the bloody mindedness of just like (laughs) yeah I feel nauseous and what (laughs) it's not gonna stop me from reading (laughs) and it went from being and you know in some ways it, it it really dramatically changed the way I grew up because instead of being you know I still did the rough tough outside playing a game imaginatively called trip up with the boys oh, in which the focus was to trip up other <laughs> people um you know bulldog I did scouts and all that kind of stuff but vast majority of the time if you looked for me I'd be reading um and it became a point of pride for me uh that I was a quick reader that I had good comprehension and all of that kind of stuff but for more than anything it was such a fantastic way to just sink into imagination yeah and you know I was playing out fanfic in my head long before I knew what fanfiction was and yeah and it really changed the direction I I think I would have gone in without having had that sort of direct impetus to read yeah that's really interesting yeah um yeah yeah uh like so for me I couldn't read for ages. It was, you know, uh, pretty, learning to read was a pretty traumatic experience for me. I think I was about seven years old before I could read. Um, so I went to about 10 different primary schools when I was younger, um, grew up in foster care and moved around a lot. So I got very good at hiding the fact that I couldn't read. Um, I would just look intently at books um and generally then when people ask me well what was the book about i'd go off of the pictures um and everyone be like oh that's so nice that you're reading that's so great and i'd be like uh-huh uh-huh um and then it it took until um i settled at my final primary school um then <laughs> to be like wait a minute i i don't think she's reading is she reading like you know and it was the it was the um oh can you read out to the class and i would be following along what people were saying um and looking at like the images um in the book and then it would get to me and i'd just like make up something based on what was going on and i just remember um the teacher just looking at me being like oh that's nice but can you read what's on the page and me being like, I thought my version was better. Um, <laughs> That's just so you. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure my version was better. Uh, and they told my uh, foster carers at the time, they were like, oh, do you realise this child can't read? Um, and I just learned to tell the time about like a good three or four months before that. Um, I got taught to tell the time using Roman numerals. Um, which that just basically, I think it's the best way to learn to tell the time because it just set me up for life. I don't rely on numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just teaching you to, instead of it being like, oh, you know what three o'clock means? You're like, no, these squiggly lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we go by the lines. <laughs> it's all about symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, oh, that's interesting. Okay, uh, so my foster care at the time was like an old school foster care. She'd been fostering for like 
don't know, 30 to 40 years. And she goes up into the attic and she comes downstairs with all of these books from like the 70s or something called, ah, like John and Julie or whatever. Is it Bish and Chip? Biff and Chip. No, it wasn't Biff and Chip. I have heard about Biff and Chip. No, it was about two siblings, John and Julie or something similar to that. And they were workbooks where I had to follow along the story and fill in all the information. Uh, and I did those for about a good half of a year. And by the end of the, the school year, uh, I, I went from not understanding how you pronounce ing which was the biggest trip for me just being like how does ing make ing it doesn't make sense it doesn't compute i went from that to probably having the highest reading level of my entire class um, that's badass yeah because uh, i i literally i i would come home from school and i would have to do an hour every single day before i even got done uh, onto homework doing these reading modules um and then i think my my real love of reading probably started when i realized that i didn't have to just read stuff at my level mm. um so i could go on to kind of like higher books and at the time higher books were uh jacqueline wilson's tracy beaker which uh changed my life um Tracy Beaker if you don't know is a story about a young girl who grows up in foster care and lives in children's home and obviously that was what I was living um and I read that book and I was like wait a minute other people are experiencing this as well what um and like really rooting for the character and everything and then it all went downhill from there because then I discovered Sweet Valley High um and goosebumps and that was <laughs> so lily is all like you know literature i read lord of the no. rings i'm like now nah. i consumed 50 sweet valley high sweet valley twins books and was like oh god oh my gosh is that when everything went downhill was when i read the character bruce who was like awful and went yes i want him <laughs> he was like the obnoxious rich guy oh yeah um like rich I don't know, I don't think he was a jock, but he was an obnoxious rich guy who had like a Porsche and he was so mean. And yet I read him and I went, yes, <laughs> I like you, Bruce. And that suddenly explains why I looked at Kylo Ren and went, yes, I like you. Draco Malfoy, yes. <laughs> Honestly. It's you got just... a rich boy complex. Oh my God. I just... I just like a dick, an asshole. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in more ways than one. No, I do. I just, I like an asshole. Uh, yeah, that I can be combative with. Yeah. And that's, that's the lesson we're taking away from this really wholesome story about learning to read, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if you read Sweet Valley High too young. <laughs> you know i did the same sort of my dad always calls them chewing gum books yeah which is like and it was definitely started off derogatory um when he was like oh well if you're not reading which like a difficult book to read then you're reading a chewing gum book but that's all i read now is chewing gum books because so like, they are the best <laughs> they are the actual best like i don't want to read 90 percent of 
literary fiction. Mm. You know, the stuff that's winning the Costa Book Award and the Man Booker Prize. Look, I read, okay, back in, I think it was 2015 or something, um, Eleanor Catton's book, The uh, Luminaries, which was, I think it was, it either won the Man Booker or it was like shortlisted. Mm. And it was, everyone was losing their minds over this book oh my gosh, it's amazing. Every chapter begins with an astrological chart and that kind of like tells you secret things about what's going on and isn't that interesting. And me being an astrology whore, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to read this book. Mate, it was a bog standard whodunit set in like New Zealand or Australia during the gold rush. It was the most bog standard. It was like Dickens woke up in the 21st century and was like do you know what the people need more agatha christie (laughs) (laughs) they need another one of my books and it needs to be about the size of a brick and i'm going to describe everything and it's going to have loads of characters and nothing's really going to happen but it's going to be fucking long yeah that's literally what it was i find it so weird because i'm obviously a huge fantasy fiction nerd yeah and most of the books that I really, really love are the size of bricks. Absolutely. Brandon Sanderson yeah. is my is my Yeah, king. absolutely. You know, 90% fantasy books yeah, bricks. could be classified as a weapon if you get them uh-huh. in hardback. But when it comes to anything that isn't fantasy, if it's longer than about 200 pages, I'm like, mm. <laughs> do I want to read that? The only time I ever end up reading non-fantasy books that are longer than the sort of average 70,000 words. Yeah. It was when it's on Kindle and you don't realise. Yeah. And you've already invested, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, what was, there was a book I read a couple of years ago. Cause, so I used to work in publishing. Um, I used to work for a publisher called Orion. And they published some absolutely fantastic fantasy because Glance is part of Orion. And so it was just a wonderful glut of awesome fantasy books that I could steal from work and then read. Um, But they also published a huge amount of literary fiction, some of which which I absolutely adored. Um, And because I worked across all of the different imprints, I'd have to read sort of a little bit from each imprint to make sure I could successfully help with marketing those books. And you just get stuck into publishing buzz. So when one of the books is like, everybody's like, oh my God, I wish I'd managed to commission this book because this book is going to be incredible and blah, blah, blah. And 9% of the time, it doesn't result in any form of real world sales. Because <laughs> it's just the publishing industry just being like, ooh! <laughs> but there are a couple of those that I absolutely adored. Um, and there was this one book and I don't feel like anybody, everybody had talked about it and they said it was like a, a sad book, but I don't think I'd mentally prepared for just how, how much it was going to destroy me. Mm. Um, and I've now forgotten its name, but it's Willem and his name was like Kurt or something. And it was four men and it was from very young age growing up together and then like where they went as adults. Is the front cover the anguished face of a man? Yeah, I think so. I can I vaguely remember what the book is about. <laughs> I'm really, really struggling. And it was it's one of those books where the whole time you know there's something under the surface because one of the characters is suffer, suffering with some really serious mental health issues um, that clearly stem from, from some form of trauma. And you know it's bad, but you don't know how bad it is. Yeah. 
and that whole book it was a chunk of a book it took me weeks and weeks to get through it and i sat there at the end and i was like that was an excellent book i'm so dehydrated i wish i hadn't read it <laughs> <laughs> like i just found it devastating and i think it comes you know when we're talking about the sort of chewing gum books it's books where you know you know going in it's not going to touch you mm. you know you know you can get involved and be interested yeah. in the world but it's not going to give you it's not going to harm you you know <laughs> whereas i think both of us have a very similar experience when we read books is we get very involved in the very world of invested. the book yeah and it, it's like the, the kind of books that are a wonderful feeling when you finish out are the ones that leave you feeling uplifted or leave you feeling um, that weird disorientation when you've come out of a book and you're not in that world anymore and book hangovers yeah that kind of thing but there are like a very few books and I can probably count them on two hands where I've finished the book and just been like fuck I'm never reading that again but that was a fantastic book (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I kind of wish I hadn't read it because it it just leaves you just a little bit broken afterwards I quite like that feeling Um, I like it when a book really makes me cry and leaves me slightly devastated I don't seek them out very often Mm. uh, but I quite enjoy finishing a book and just being like everyone is dead everything is awful why did this happen Mm. Oh my gosh! Let me curl up in a ball now, uh, and I—I—I like I, that's quite a nice feeling um, yeah. to have. It's quite cathartic, but I just don't like reading about Bob and Sue down the road, and you know, I don't know, Jeannie and Kevin in America. Like, <laughs> I just come up with like the worst names ever. I don't. I don't like reading contemporary. I don't like reading most literary fiction because I'm just like it's boring I want to read about the world as it is now you know I don't want to read about some middle-aged man's you know midlife crisis uh as he you know buys himself a fast car and has an affair with one of his students sorry one of my professors Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh that was my uh creative writing professor his his book was literally a professor having a midlife crisis and having an affair with a student but guys done in second person oh no (laughs) i hate second person it's the worst um oh gosh i don't even really like first person (laughs) yeah i don't particularly like first person and that's one of the it's been done incredibly well by some people like white teeth zadie smith could not be in any other person the first person like it's just fantastic you know, there's a, like a couple of books where you're like, no, this works. Especially especially when it's dealing with like a lot of inner thought. and Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, no. It's used. It's overused. It's, I think. It's, and it's especially overused in the young adult. Um, oh, I can imagine. Yeah. It, there's too much first person. And I'm just like, stop it. I don't want to hear about every, you know, special girl who thinks that she's ugly, but is actually conventionally attractive. Like, oh, whoa, whoa. My dad is just reading through stuff that he finds he, he just if he finds a book and he's not read it he'll give it a go um and he can't not finish books and <laughs> he picked up uh, glass sword or glass crown whatever the 
second one was to Red Queen. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and he hadn't read Red Queen. He didn't realise it was it was a sequel. And he just picked it up and read it. And he was like, so I'm from context clues, I'm guessing this is not the first book. <laughs> but dear God, if I have to, have to listen to this girl whine any more uh-huh. about anything else, I'm not sure I can take it. <laughs> and that's, that's the problem. That's the problem with first person, is it yeah. just, because you're so in their thoughts, and if it's and, and if it's not written well, it just leaves you feeling like this person is whining and they need to stop, you know? And that's just not enjoyable to read. Especially as, you know, and when I was a teenager, I also thought that stuff was super important. And I get why it's important for why for teenagers to have their experiences reflected yeah. in books. Um, but I do lose patience really quickly with with the melodramatic. Yeah. And the problem is with a lot of these books, and I'm thinking about like things like Red Queen and which, you know, I don't think is an inherently bad book. It I just, enjoyed it, but I I, I I I whizzed through it and I quite enjoyed it. It just falls into that category of like earlier kind of mid 2010s YA yeah um, yeah like I've read and enjoyed a lot of YA um, you know there are some that I still go back to and love yeah uh, but and, and for me Red Queen represents a category of YA yeah um, and it's the okay like the concept uh, what are you doing with it <laughs> <laughs> category where it just and I know you don't feel the same but I feel the same way about uh, Daughter of Smoke and Bone yes uh, where I'm like I love the thought of somebody being like running around collecting teeth and like this whole sort of start to a really interesting magic system and then I was like oh what are you doing now oh no stop (laughs) (laughs) just for Um, me it, it just did not land well at all yeah I, so I, I agree about Daughter and Smoking Bone in terms of I wish that more had been focused on Prague and mm. that exchange between her and the, the, the teeth. Also, because Prague is such an interesting place uh-huh. and there's so yeah. much fascinating history and, you know, it's it just, it, it, there's so little fantasy that focuses on that part of the world yeah. that I was really excited when it started in Prague. And it went really quickly into generic for me. Yeah, because it quickly moves into, hey, fantasy world. Yeah. Um, because it's a portal fantasy and mm. it just it completely leaves Prague behind. Um, and I wish it hadn't. And I wish that the, I wish there had been more done with that. Mm. And it's why I really like her next book, which is Strange the Dreamer, because that happens within its own fantasy world. So from the very beginning. I wonder why I haven't read that book. Who did I lend the proof to? What? No. <laughs> I don't. Oh. <laughs> it's one oh of them. No. Yeah, you brought it up. I get no. to tell it. <laughs> so, I got a a proof of Strange the Dreamer. Um, I picked it up from work, and it's a, a really astonishingly beautiful proof. Um, and I was like, because I said I wasn't really that enthusiastic about the first series, but I heard this one was going to be different. Quite excited to read it. Um, and then Tam was over for a weekend or whatever and she was like oh my god oh my god I absolutely love Lainey Taylor 
uh, could I borrow that? I've not read it yet. It's not published yet. Can I, can I borrow it? And I was like, absolutely. This was about three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Um, and at this point, Tam was living up in Birmingham. And so we weren't seeing each other as regularly as we do now. Honestly, I think I was living in Wales at the time. When Were I, you? Yeah, and then I took it with me to Birmingham. Yes, that was <laughs> so it. I hadn't read it. Um, and then I'd forgotten about it because, like, whilst, you know, it, it, it is one of those TBR books, right? Yeah. That, you know, you, if it's not immediately in front of me, I'm not going to remember that. It's something I, I wanted to read. And then Tam comes up to me at one of our meetups and is like, Lily, I've done something. And I was like, what have you done? And she was like, I've done something really bad. And I'm like, what have you done? She was like, so... I met Lainey Taylor at an event and I accidentally got your proof signed. And I was like, oh, well, that's fine. And she's like, to me. <laughs> In my defense, it's because I gave her both books and she signed the first one and then immediately signed the other one afterwards. And it didn't, I was so starstruck and I was having a conversation with someone else who was asking me, uh, where I'd gotten the book from. And I was like, oh, I knew a couple of people at, um, you know, Hachette, blah, 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 blah. So I was having that conversation and I was there like, Lane's asking me questions. And I was like, I don't know how to answer. Oh my gosh, I'm so starstruck. And then I walked away and I was like, oh shit, they've both been signed. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I'm like, I've forgotten that book existed. You love it far more than I do. I have no problem with that, but I just find it so funny. <laughs> it might have I did offer to give Lily back the book. <laughs> Which I think would have been, I honestly kind of regret not taking it off you because it would just be like, that would be such a fuck you tomorrow moment. <laughs> like I've got this this book by one of your favourite authors yeah. signed to you, but no, it's mine. <laughs> Can you imagine? But Lily being the beautiful, lovely person that she is was like, no, it's fine. You can keep it. You can keep it, but I maintain the right to bring this out as many times yeah. as I want. <laughs> um, it's been made worse by the fact that I'm now uh, fully entrenched in uh, the book community um, and different book groups uh, and whatnot. And I have discovered that this uncorrected proof is like a unicorn um, that so many people want. And I'm just there like, can I can almost see the steam that would be leaving your ears and the fire no, that no, would no, be no. pouring out of your eyes if I turned around to you and went, oh, so by the way, I traded it. <laughs> no, dude, do it if you want. Like, <laughs> literally no problem. I just maintain the right to make fun of you. Yes. <laughs> works between me and tomorrow yeah. i don't think either of us hold grudges on anything no nope. but that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that is super funny to bring up regularly <laughs> <laughs> yep like the other one for me and i'm sure you i know oh, you have God. a long list for me <laughs> as well but you know i'm on a roll so i'm gonna tell all of them yeah um was when we went down to cornwall a couple of years ago uh it was so me and tam went to uni in cornwall a place called Falmouth and absolutely loved it down there. I used to visit there as a kid a lot. And so um, for me, it's like a real, it's a really special place. Um, we all had such a wonderful time down there. And so we go back quite frequently and we were back for one of those sort of interminable visits and we were with, with a group of people and we decided as I had a car at that point and so did somebody else that we were going to actually do a field trip. Um, out somewhere and rather than yeah. just staying in Falmouth the whole time and uh, <laughs> so I was like right well where do we want to go 
Um, and Tam was like, I think we're going to go to St. Moore's. And I was like, oh, cool. There's like plenty of nice places to, to, to eat and stuff in St. Moore's. And she was like, yeah, no, there's a pub there that I really like. So we'll go to St. Moore's. Um, and so we get in the car. I drive to St. Moore's. And like, for context, <laughs> to get to St. Moore's from Falmouth, <laughs> not only is it about a 40 minute drive, but you also have to cross cross a river uh-huh. on a ferry. <laughs> so there's a car ferry. And it's like it's like Harry's Cross St. Harry's or something like that. It's a it's a it's a car ferry. It's like not inexpensive and Oh well, it's no, it's not that expensive, but we were all poor graduates at this point. And, uh-huh. I was like, and then it also takes a while to do. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to St. Moore's, we went and found a pub sat down and we were waiting for the other car load of people to arrive we weren't seeing them and they were kept on saying we're at the pub i was like which pub there are lots of pubs and some moors and then town was like we're at you know pandora inn i was like pandora inn isn't in some moors tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) and it turns out the entire time she hadn't meant St. Moore's at all. Nope. Where is it that Pandora Inn is? It's another place that begins with M. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a 10 minute drive away yeah. from yeah. where we were staying. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, I, in that moment, I almost threw my phone in the fucking seat. I was so angry. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> you were like oh well we could come come out to St Moore's and I'm like there's no fucking point like <laughs> it's so full of rage <laughs> uh, got got back in the car crossed over the like river again in the ferry <laughs> and everybody else in the car was just silent yeah because they could feel how angry I was <laughs> but the glorious thing about my rage is it's very quick <laughs> And by the time we got to Pandora Inn, I was just like, you're a fucking moron. But yeah. it was absolutely fine. <laughs> but I feel very sorry. It was like Alex, Alicia, and I think maybe Oscar in the car with me. And they were all like in silence. Like not even the radio was on. And I was just driving angrily back to... <laughs> <laughs> and then for them to get out of the car and be like, oh no, oh no, she's going to get angry again at Tamara. And for me to be like, you fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> I think that's the point that they realise, like, oh, oh, there's something wrong with Lily. <laughs> One of my happiest kind of vindication moments of you being upset about something was the amount of times that I arrived late. Oh, yes. At any event uh, or gathering that you were doing. The worst one. Oh, like, please, like, I think, continue and say why this was nothing to do with you afterwards. But, like, at the time, I fully blamed Tamara for it. And I was <laughs> very annoyed. Was Tam was staying with me for a weekend because she was going to an interview in London. Yeah. And at this point, you lived in Wales. Yeah. And so came down for the weekend, staying with me. And you came to meet me at my office at lunchtime. Yeah. And you were like, well, we're going to head back to your flat. And so I was like, okay, cool. Have the keys. And then... I finished up work, started to head back to the flat, and I was like, hey, you at the flat? And you were like, no, we're at Yarny's. And so, for context, I, at this point, I was living in northeast London, a place called Clapton, and Yarny was living... Northwest. Northwest. 
somewhere that I would not classify Literally, as London. She lived a 30 second drive away from the Welcome to London sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like you're going to get there before <laughs> I get home from work. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, my flatmate's away for the weekend. You have my only keys to my flat. So I was like, I guess I'll go to the pub because <laughs> I can't get in my flat. <laughs> I just sort of sat in the pub. My phone was running out of battery, just like drinking alone and just being like, why did I get her keys? I shouldn't have trusted her with my keys. Yeah. <laughs> just like completely. And then like an hour and a half later, I was like three pints in. Yeah. You and Yanni pull up. Um, and you were so apologetic the whole time. Yeah. And it was it was so clear because I was getting pissy because I was like, you don't want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's not like my least favourite place to be is a pub. Like, it was the best possible uh-huh. outcome. Uh-huh. It's one of the best pubs I've ever been to. I fuck, fucking love the Crooked Billet. Like, it was one of my, it's still one of my absolute favourite pubs in London. And, um, but I just sat there resentfully drinking a pint. And this whole time, I was blaming Tamara because Tamara always seemed to be late. I was late all the time. Yep. I would constantly be messaging Lily being like, I'm really sorry. I'm going to be late. I'm really sorry. We're going to be late. I'm really sorry. Oh, it's going to be like another hour constantly. And then Christmas 20, I want to say 2016, 2017, when you were living in the prison flat. Yeah. uh, I came down again from Wales. And this time I was like, well, since we're doing like Christmas dinner on the the next day, I'm going to come up the day before and I'm going to stay with you. Yeah. And then Yanni was coming the next day <laughs> to join us for Christmas dinner. And she was six hours <laughs> late. And, <laughs> and the whole time I was like, you see, Lily, it's not me. It's not my fault. If Every anything. time. Every single time. I have been late and you have been angry at me. It's not my fault. Because <laughs> the thing is, I'm not usually angry at late people because I'm a very late person. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, like... It was a build-up of Half years. an hour, 45 minutes late, no problem. Like, that's absolutely no issue for me any time. But it was always, like, an hour and a half, two hours late. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? And then it just turned out as soon as you weren't with Yanni... It was six hours. <laughs> it made you realise how much you were pushing Yanni to arrive even close to on time to things. <laughs> One of my biggest pet peeves is being late to things. I hate being late so much. It gives me so much anxiety. Like, I always turn up at least ten minutes before I'm expected. Mm. Um, the only time I don't do that now is when I'm coming to yours because mm. you live a six-minute walk away. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, she expects me at half past. I'll just leave at half past. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm going to be there. Yeah. So and there's nothing that could happen yeah. that's going to impact on my coming to your flat. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. I just find it so funny. And it got to the point, Yanni is nowhere near this bad anymore. <laughs> like, not at all. Uh, like, uh, I met her for drinks, like, oh, it would have been last year now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she was absolutely on the dot on time. And I was late because I was expecting her to be late. Yeah, Yeah, I do find it. So my parents are very similar in terms of being opposites in that respect, where Mm. my dad 
is aggressively on time to absolutely everything. I knew it was going to be that way around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there was no other way around it could be. My dad loves being... He, he just, for him, it's a respect thing. Yeah, like, same. Being polite to somebody means that you're where you say you're going to be when you said you were going to be there. Yeah. And for my mum, it's just... Uh, she's very optimistic about how long it's going to take you to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there's always that one last couple of things that she needs to do before she leaves the house. Um, so she is almost always late. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's you know, I'm the same way. Like, I'm very optimistic about how long it's going to take me to get places. There's always one more thing I needed to do. Like, what when I'm on my way out my door, I'm like, oh, shit, forgot my keys. When I'm all the way, oh, I'm not wearing shoes. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's just, me and my mum are very similar in that respect. But when my parents first started dating, on their first date so this was my parents were met at one of their friends weddings and then my dad didn't call my mom for six months and then this was finally their date so it'd been like a long time in the works so he was driving to pick up my mum, and the idea was they were going to go to this like nice italian restaurant and then catch fireworks at the local park so like perfect first date yeah very nice vibe uh my dad got stuck in the worst traffic he's ever seen uh, <laughs> trying to get to my dad trying to get to my mum's and he ended up being almost two hours late oh my to gosh. this date and my mum was like she was probably a little bit pissed off but the way she tells it is like that's absolutely fine like he kept her updated you know wh- when he could <laughs> yeah <laughs> but she was like actually just kind of vaguely fine with it um obviously the restaurant was closed by the time they got there the fireworks display was over (laughs) but they ended up having a nice time and certainly a nice enough time that they booked in a second date but at this point my mum was like oh he's just one of those guys who's always late and that's fine with me but he did what is in my mum's view worse than being two hours late oh no was he early he turned up half an hour early to my second date and so my mum hadn't even jumped in the shower yet because she was assuming he was going to be late so like (laughs) And then he turned up early. So in in her consideration, he turned up like an hour and a half before he was meant to yeah. turn up. And my dad was just like, I just really didn't want to be late this time. My mum was like, <laughs> she said that almost ended it. <laughs> What's him being early to their second date? <laughs> They're so funny as a couple. I love my parents. They are in so many ways opposites. Um, I very much love your parents as yeah. well. <laughs> Uh, my dad's off his feet at the moment because he's just had an operation and luckily my sister's with my parents at the moment so she can sort of help my dad during the day uh, but it means he's not mobile at all and my dad is one of the most aggressively active human beings yes. you know, like he absolutely <laughs> hates being still and my mum is just ripping the absolute piss out of him for it <laughs> <laughs> just like this is so perfect <laughs> I am the complete opposite. My idea of a perfect day is to just be like curled up in bed with an audio book and like playing on an app on my phone or something. Yeah. Just interacting with no one, reading, just silence, perfection. I haven't realised how much time I spend in like actual silence you know i i don't have when i'm when i'm not listening to an audiobook i don't have music playing i don't have things on the tv oh i don't have a tv in my room i will just be in in silence and i'll be like playing the sims or reading through things on my phone or actually like reading a book and it's just silence <laughs> oh i hate that 
I, I love it. I, I, I love silence. <laughs> I really struggle with silence. Both in conversations, like the worst thing you can do to me as a person is pause dramatically because it's just a compulsive need to fill silence. I'll end up telling you all of my life secrets, everything I don't want to tell you, <laughs> like just to fill silence. <laughs> I've had to really teach myself not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still bad at it. I really struggle with not having someone to talk to or something going on, something to watch, something to listen to, to the point that I, I think one of the reasons that I find the thought of showering stressful. So when I'm in like an anxiety spike anyway, yeah, showering, basic, like looking after yourself stuff is really difficult for me to motivate myself to do. Um, but with the showering, the big thing is I can't do anything else in the shower. Yeah. Except just be in the shower. And it just means that I either spend like ages setting up an audio setup so I can listen to something in the shower. And I'm a quick showerer, like I'm in and out in five minutes. But those five minutes, if I don't have something to do, that's really interesting. Really stresses me out, which is why I sing in the shower, because yeah. then it's something to do. <laughs> Again, I shower in silence. Uh, and, and so for me, it's the opposite. I have quite a few showers. And I will actually shower more if my depression and anxiety gets really bad. Because for me, there's something quite like safe and calming about being under mm. the water. Uh, and I will just stand there and let the water flow over me in absolute silence for a good 10, 15 minutes. Um. <laughs> I used to, I got into a really weird, like you know the little things that when you're learning how to function for me it was at university because i hadn't like never lived alone before i really didn't know how to i was still better off than a lot of kids who go yeah. to university i knew how to cook for myself and like all of that kind of stuff but when i was still learning how to function as an adult in my own space was one of the things that i started to pride myself on was how quickly i could go from fully asleep to out the door yeah um including a shower and I managed to get it down to six minutes. Wow. Two minutes two minutes of which was shower. <laughs> I, I can't. So I, I, just on the, um, so we messaged each other today about like what time am mm. I coming over here? And you said 2.30 and I was like, cool, I'll start getting ready at half one. Because then that gives me time to have a shower, which is like 10 minutes. And then 15 minutes of like sitting on my bed drying whilst I play something on my phone or read or something um and then time to kind of get dressed and walk around the house and be like what am i taking with me do i have everything do i want to take a drink with me what am i doing and then i was i was ready to leave the house at 10 past two and mm. then i was like oh, it's too early okay i'll go sit down but like, you also you have keys to my flat i do have even keys, if i so wasn't I gonna just be here <laughs> yeah. but i was like no, 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 i was no, expecting no. you to be here when i got back i was just like there's no way that she's actually or we were gonna like walk up to the door together because i literally got here at 25 yeah. past two but no, i was fully dressed with my jacket on my shoes on my sunglasses on my head ready to leave the house and i was like let me just sit in the lounge for 10 minutes and i'll i'm currently obsessed with the coloring in app uh, so currently like, me, me, it's a long-lived obsession <laughs> <laughs> so i was like let me do my paint by numbers and i did that and then it got to i think it was about 25 past and i was like okay that's enough i can leave now yeah i i can't imagine well that's the thing that's what i should be doing yeah because i don't have the motivation or like general clarity of mind to be able to do it in six minutes anymore but that's all I mentally allot myself for before I leave the house. So I'm like, oh, it's... So if I'm getting here, like getting to yours for half two, 
I would be like, forget that there's a walk, one. Yeah. So I would yeah. leave it literally at half two. Or, <laughs> and also it'd be like, oh, well, I don't need to get ready yet. It's only quarter past. <laughs> that means that wherever I go, I've already, I've left a trail of things that I've forgotten behind me. It's how I always end up on trains without my train ticket. Yeah. Or in, on my way to the airport without my passport. Or, you know, insert yeah. other thing. And here. Jack, Jack does the same thing. Because obviously he worked in retail where there were times when he had to be at work for half six in the morning. And so he got really good at being able to roll out of bed and leave within 15 minutes. Hmm. And I'm still there. Like, no matter what the situation is, where I'm going, I always wake up an hour before I'm supposed to be somewhere. I can't. It's just sensible. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that's what my dad does. Yeah. Like, he, he is the biggest proponent and my middle sister is the same. Uh, pack your bag the night before yeah have all your clothes out laid ready yeah and then sure it might only take you 20 minutes to get out the door but that's because you've done all the pre-prep yeah me i'm like wake up the morning of a holiday pack my bag <laughs> <laughs> forget all of the essential things i need and sometimes so I, I do that before um especially for work i will usually have chosen the outfit that i'm wearing i'll have that already laid out i'll have my deodorant set up i'll have like my pills that i'm supposed to be taking like ready in their container uh i'll have everything ready and then occasionally i'll be like Do you know what i'm gonna have a sleep in tomorrow so that means i'm gonna shower before i go to bed so that i'm ready and that sleep in is literally i sleep for 15 more minutes and i still get up with 45 minutes to go before i'm supposed to leave for work because I'm only taking away the shower time and drying time. So I'm like, no, but I still need to like get up and brush my teeth and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this and, is the, yeah. And I think also because although I don't wear makeup every day, in my mind, I've still allotted that time of mm. if I want to do my makeup, that's also going to be another 10, 15 mm. minutes that I'm going to need to allow for. Um, Whereas I just don't know wear makeup. Yeah. And that's part of the reason is... I'm also terrible at routines. Yeah. In general. Like, I've just got into the habit of, like, washing my face every day and yeah. moisturising. Like, and that's been a big step for me. <laughs> this last year, I just stopped moisturising. <laughs> my God, can you tell? Like, my, my face and my hands are so dry. Uh, I don't even want to look at my legs. They're probably so cracked. And oh, I only moisturise my face. And I, I really should moisturise more of my body because I have eczema. Yes. So, like, I have yeah. chronic dry skin and, like, my shins crack sometimes. And, like, this winter I've just been like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure and it's be been fine. made so much worse over the last year because of all of the, um, what's it called? The anti... The stuff. The things. Indeed, pandemic. the stuff and things. The th it's been oh, made so much worse in the last... Yeah, so it's been made so much worse in the last year because of the anti-vax stuff that we're constantly having to use. Um, that's just become a painful process every time I have to put it on because the skin has split so much on my hands mm. um, that every time I rub it in, I'm just like, why do I hurt myself? I don't know if my hands are particularly oily or something, but it's the only <laughs> part of my body that doesn't get like eczema-y stuff. <laughs> Lily oily hands. My lily oily hands. It's what I am known as. Yeah, greetings. Nice to meet you. I am clammy. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. 
the things that the pandemic has taught us has been weirdly uh-huh. specific. Uh, so I've just heard your doorbell go, which, which means, means that... people around here for poutine. Yes, they are coming for poutine. Oh, I'm very excited for this. Poutine! Um, Lily has been extolling the uh, joy of eating poutine for many, many years, and she finally bought a whole bunch of cheese curds. Yeah. And we're going to be, we're gonna we're be doing, feasting tonight. Doing poutine properly, because... If you don't get actual cheese curds, it is just chips and gravy <laughs> with a bit of cheese. And it's not, it's, you know, and like as much as I maintain that poutine is delicious, I understand people being a bit wary of it when it is just cheese, chips and gravy. It's cheesy chips with gravy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Right. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you guys and we'll speak to you again soon. This has been Ogman and Squeak and uh, yeah, speak soon. Bye. Bye.